All right, let's make our way back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Cover quite a bit of ground this morning to some degree. Um, Basically, all of chapter 3 is going to be where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Uh, We won't get to everything. We literally could take weeks in this chapter. Um, But as I've mentioned, it's it's good to to grab a whole chunk and, and see how the writer or the preacher of this book the points that he's trying to make and it's it's better grasped sometimes as you take it as a whole chunk um so what i want to do just a little bit different this morning is i was i want to read chapter three and there are two small chunks there are two small texts uh from paul that i want to read one being in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and another being in Philippians chapter 3 but we'll, we'll turn there after we read Hebrews chapter 3 therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house who has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to, uh, to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion... On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, the end of the, the Old Testament quote we pick up in 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those uh, who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. A short prayer. Father, make your word alive to our hearts, our minds. Give us understanding of you, your son, uh, by the equipping of your spirit. Open up the eyes and ears to see. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 3 begins, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Um, 
a few weeks ago, I was reminded by a pastor friend of mine of the urgency in my preaching to you. Uh, Standing before you, before God, to deliver what God has said. Uh, He reminded me in the form of a quote from an old Puritan. And the quote said, Preach as never sure to preach again. Preach as if I would never preach again. And to preach as a dying man to dying men. And so I want you also to hear in that quote the urgency of not just what I am to say, but you in your hearing. I preach as a dying man to dying men and women, and that is absolutely the case. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know if you will be back next Sunday. This is the reality that is held before us. We are headed towards death, and around the corner from death is eternity. And when we knock at the door of eternity, there's only one who answers, and that is God. And for some of us, that is comforting to know that at the end of death, God is at the door, but for some, it's terrifying. It is terrifying to think that one day after death, there will be judgment. But what's more terrifying for me as a pastor is that there are many professing Christians who do not realize the lack of warm welcome that they are going to receive when they see the face of God. Many people across, let's just say Fulton County, are going to see God and assume a warm welcome, but receive a depart from me, I never knew you. They won't see a friend. They won't see a father. They'll see a judge and a verdict. Jesus tells us, you know, we're very familiar, that they will say, Lord, Lord. That ter- that's a term of endearment, a term of relationship, to use someone's name twice. Lord, Lord, of course, this is me. You know me. Or they might just say, Lord, Lord, remember what I did for you. And he just says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of, of lawlessness. But what we're wanting, what we're after, what we're after, what every Christian ought to be after, is that when the, when the door opens of eternity and the Lord is standing there, he declares to us, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear. Two things, well, well, just one thing separates those two groups. One thing makes them similar, and that's their profession of faith. But the thing that separates them is saving faith. Saving faith separates these two groups. Saving faith in Jesus. Those who are marked as faithful servants are the ones who live lives. They live their lives in constant agreement with what Jesus has said. It's a lifetime of faith. And following. That's why the that's why the response is good. Uh, well, uh, sorry. 
That's why the response is, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. Not little as in uh, a little bit here, but as in magnitude. But this servant, the ones who gets the, the uh, affirmation from God in the end, is someone who has been a servant over a lifetime. And I don't mean that means you've had to have been... In Christ over a lifetime. But the moment that you have come into Christ through faith. You continue in that faith as a servant until the day you see him. But those who are going to be turned away. Are going to say Lord Lord I know you. I know you I know you I know you. And their lives will say back to them. Their own Witness and testimony of their own lives will say, you are a worker of lawlessness. You have been no servant to God. You have lived not for him. So as a dying man to a dying audience... The truth, I want you to make sure that you grasp this morning, and this is a truth that goes all throughout Hebrews, is this statement. In order to make it to the end, you must never stop depending on Jesus. In order to make it to the end, you must never stop depending on Jesus. So with that, let, let's just there's two quick verses before we move into Hebrews 3. Start, let's just, I guess we'll start with Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Start in 10. Oh, let's start in 8. Philippians 3, 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpass, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That statement in itself could be... It's gold. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, and in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. This is where I really want you to hear it. Not that I have already obtained this, the power of the resurrection of the dead, right? Or am already perfect. He's not that. But I press on to make it my own. He presses on to make the power of the resurrection of Christ in him. Brothers, or he presses on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How did we start Hebrews 3.1? Holy brothers who share in a heavenly what? Calling. Paul says we, we press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, 
God reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let us hold true to what we have obtained. Now flip a couple pages to the right to Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. So I want you to start seeing a pattern, keeping in the back of the mind that phrase that I gave you, that, that, that truth I gave you. In order to make it to the end, you must never stop depending on Jesus. Verse 6 of chapter 2 in Colossians. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so there's, there's the starting point. Where's the end? So walk in Him. The end is the end of your life. When you see passages that talk about walking in the New Testament, it is talking about living your life. As you received Jesus Christ, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Now, this is for free. You cannot tell me that you are living a life pressing on for the call, the prize of the call, of fulfilling your calling, of walking in Christ, and all you do is grumble. Abounding in thanksgiving. A grumbler is no Christian. Because Christians have everything to be thankful for. And you and I, if I walk in on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, whatever, and you hear me grumble, you put me in my place. Because what are we doing when we grumble? We're just looking around at the world and everything in it. And we've taken our eyes off of what we have been made and been given in Christ through the gospel. So, back on track. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Now, we'll come back to that here in a minute. We'll go back to chapter 3 of Hebrews. What we're going to do is we're going to jump around in this chapter a little bit just to kind of help us maybe understand what's being said here for our sake. Um, what we get in Hebrews chapter 3 is what we get a lot throughout this book, and that's reference to the Old Testament. To go and look at a passage from the Old Testament. But it's kind of it's kind of funny because... We're actually going to look at a psalm that's actually looking back at the Old Testament. So we're looking into the Old Testament to see the Old Testament here. Um, and so as we look back, it's going to help us now. Uh, we're going to first look at Israel as a people, as we read in Numbers 13 and 14 earlier. We're going to look at Israel, and this would be Israel post-Exodus. On their way to the promised land, actually at the edge of the promised land. And then we're going to look at Moses, their leader, uh, who led Israel out of Egypt uh, into the outskirts of the promised land. And in looking at Israel and uh, Moses, we're going to look at ourselves and Jesus in comparison. All right, so... One thing I want to encourage you in as we continue through Hebrews, the way that we will be approaching it is that we're going to be taking big chunks and we will miss some things. And so I want to highly encourage you to continue to read through Hebrews for the next coming weeks. To continue to see in here and pick up the pieces that might be left and see the connections as they're made. Alright, so let's jump here to three and we're going to be looking at most specifically here in the beginning, verses 17 through, I'm sorry, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. Um, but it'd be helpful 
for us again to remember who the audience is. Hebrews 3.1, holy brothers, holy brothers and sisters, those who share in a heavenly calling. He, he then gives a command in that, in that verse 1 of chapter 3. Consider Jesus. Now, I've looked at almost every translation I could find. And does anyone have a, ver- have a translation where it says something other than consider Jesus? Anybody say anything other than consider Jesus? I could not find any other uh, interpretation for that word consider. And what I want you to know before we begin is that isn't consider Jesus as in consider changing your use of mayo to miracle whip. Like consider the consider making that change or that option no, consider Jesus as in set your mind and contemplate. Think on. It's actually a it's a it's a, a compound Greek word where it's like thinking into, like really getting it into your mind. Consider Jesus. Now what are we considering about Jesus? That he's the apostle and high priest of our confession, and he's faithful to him who appointed him. He's faithful to do what God has called him to do. And then he likens Jesus to who? Moses. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Now the rest I want to skip because there's that contrast between Jesus and Moses in verses 3, 4, 5, 6. But I want to jump forward to 7 to where we start to get to talk about Israel a little bit. Israel, we start talking about Israel in verse 7, as the writer of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, quotes Psalm 95 to give us some background and also a warning. So let's read it. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. So he is talking about what we read in Numbers 13 and 14. God had brought Israel out of Egypt out of bondage from Mount Sinai to Canaan to the land that he had promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was bringing them to the promised land. And if you remember, as we read Numbers 13 and 14, what did they do? Basically, they said, no thanks. They said no. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not Enter my rest. So what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do here is trying, he's quoting Psalm 95. He's looking back at what had been written and what had taken place. And he's making a plea to you, the reader, for faith. For faith. He's calling you to trust But that's a positive way of interpreting it because he doesn't say, have faith. Instead, he says it in a negative way. He says, do, in verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 8, do not harden your heart. Do not do that. He says, now, okay, so what would that mean to have a hard heart? Well, if you, is a rock hard, right? A rock is hard. A a hard rock is dead. It's cold. It's 
uh, unresponsive, it's unaffectionate, it's stubborn and set in its ways. The rock is not going to move, right? Do not harden your hearts. What would be the opposite? But have a heart that is alive, that is warm, that is responsive, that is affectionate, that is trusting. Now, we've gone through this before, and I just want to make sure that we understand this. And here's the complication with Hebrews. Here's the balance that we have to hold as we read Hebrews. As you read Scripture, when was the last time you affected any part of your heart? How do you take a hard heart and make it soft? How do you keep a soft heart from becoming hard? The answer is faith. The answer is the Spirit of God. How do you affect the Spirit of God? A spirit, can you do the Spirit? Hello, faith. Depending, trusting is how you keep your heart from hardening. Now, Faith isn't something that you have welled up in and therefore is strong and holding on to something. Faith isn't something that it's, it's, it's big and doing it and it's keeping and it's... Do- no, faith is actually the opposite. Faith is saying, acknowledging, I am weak and thou art strong. Faith is acknowledging that the power is outside of you. Look at verse 6 in chapter 3. We talked about this this morning in in Sunday, this verse. At the end of it, he says, just verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, right? We, not, not we're in his house, but we are his house. We are God's children, as we saw in Hebrews 2. We're brothers, sisters of Christ. But he says, and we are his house if. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Here's where we cannot get this wrong. He doesn't mean hold fast to something you possess. You don't have any reason to boast. You don't have any reason to be confident. Hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Look back up at verse 1. Consider Jesus, the faithful, the apostle and great high priest. Our faith, our confidence, our boasting, they are only good as long as they are in something that is good, and that is Christ. Your faith is useless unless it's in Christ. Your boasting and confidence is useless unless it's in Christ. The only reason you ought to hold fast to it is because you're holding fast to Christ. Okay, back up in, let's see, uh, to 11. So again, let's let's remember the situation. Israel is at the edge of Canaan, at the edge of the promised land. They have rejected God's promise. They have rejected entering into the land which they were being given, the land that was promised to Abraham. But what's really happening here? Look down at verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? What's the big deal that Israel's now not going to listen to God? They're not going to believe in what he said. Who, who are these people that have heard and yet rebelled? And then in a sarcastic way, the preacher gives this response back. 
Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So in this sarcastic question and response, the, the preacher says, Okay, you're meaning to tell me that the people who were enslaved by Pharaoh, who watched the Nile turn red into blood, saw all the plagues that took place thereafter, saw the firstborn of every uh, saw the firstborn in Egypt die, even the Pharaoh's son. You mean to tell me that the people who were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, who made it to the Red Sea, who watched the Red Sea part by the word of God through Moses, saw the Red Sea fall back onto Pharaoh and his army. You mean to tell me the people who left the Red Sea, went to Sinai, were hungry and said, would you feed me? And God made bread fall from the sky, water come out of a rock. You mean to tell me it's these people who saw a few giants, a few fortified walls, and said, we can't do this. Verse 17. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It was not enough. It was not enough. For an Israelite to say, I just came from Egypt. I just saw the Red Sea part. It was not enough to say, that's where I have come from. And that's what we do in Christianity these days. We say, I got saved. Because I got this, I did that. The reason why... They fell was because of their disobedience. Not because they said they were an Israelite who escaped slavery. No one's going to heaven because they say they're a Christian. That gets you nowhere. No one, no one can say, I'm going to heaven because I sat and heard the word of God. These people heard the word of God and saw it split the Red Sea and yet actually still did not make it into the promised land and fell. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, look at verse 11. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, We're not talking about just the land anymore. We're not talking about just Canaan. He swore in his wrath that they shall not enter his rest. So, here, here's where we've got to connect this in verse 12. This is why this is given to us today. Take care. Take care. Brothers. Brothers. Sisters. Who share in a heavenly calling. Take care. Lest there be in any of you. An evil. Unbelieving heart. This is the present danger that is among us right now. There is a present danger among us as we sit in this church today. 
And that is that there could be hardening hearts happening right now. Hard hearts, evil hearts that disbelieve God. Anyone among us, among our brothers and sisters who say they share in a heavenly calling, could be falling away from the living God. How does this happen? How could you who say you are a follower of Christ come to church and fall away from the living God? The answer is in verse 13. It's hidden a little bit. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a killer. Sin will destroy you. Sin is seeking you out right now. And you might be thinking, but I have, you should see my life, Luke. There's nothing I get into. I, I, I don't have the time to have that sort of lifestyle. Well, the problem is, is that sin is seeking you out in your mind and in your heart. And you could be, you could be the sweetest old person. At least to everyone. And in a moment, murder in your mind, lust in your heart. Sin is so deceitful. Sin told Eve that the tree was good for her. just a bite, right? That's all it was. It was just a bite. Sin will kill you. Sin will destroy you. I just want to say it again, but I, I, you just, you have to understand this. As a Christian, you are not, as someone who says you are a Christian, you are not Removed from the danger of sin. Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I, for the sake of time, I won't do it. But here's what I tell you to do. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, you kill your own sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, you kill your sin. Because if not, it will kill you. And no one might even know it. And here's the, it is so deceptful that you might not even know it until you knock on that door in eternity. And Jesus says, I never knew you. This is not a one-time thing. It's not a thing that you do for a while after you believe. It's not a thing you do in your 30s and 40s when you know sin is really prevalent. So when I get to 50 and 60 and 70, it's not a big a deal. No, sin is as sharp and as dangerous whether you're 6 or 60. As you receive him... So walk in him. The two things that really trump that really trip, tripped up Israel and will trip us up. Here's the big point. We are not different from Israel. We are not better than Israel. They are just a picture of who everyone else is in their hearts. 
And what did they get caught up in? They got caught up in themselves and what they saw in front of them. They looked inward and they looked outward. You know where they never looked? Upward. They looked in and they looked out. They looked out and they saw something to fear of. And so they looked in at their feelings and said, no, nah, I'll pass. But none of, them, none of them listened to Caleb or Joshua, whoever it was, which says, no, 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 no. We do this because God is with us. It doesn't matter how tall they are, how fortified their cities are. Do you remember what has just happened? Let's take it. It's ours. But no, they were deceived and hardened by their own sin. Don't don't be driven around. Don't don't let your lives be dictated about what you're seeing and what you're feeling. It's so easy. Christian, it's so easy to be misguided by what you see and what you feel. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't believe what you see. Don't seek after what the world has to offer. And I mean it's don't compromise one bit. Not one bit. And then don't let your feelings guide you. Like the Israelites, they were scared to death. They're like, well, if we feel if we're scared, then there's no reason for us to do it. Do you know what Jeremiah says? That your heart is desperately sick. Do not, it, no one can understand it. I don't know if our world today is more, I don't know if we're at a more of a disadvantage. I don't want to say that. I don't know if it's harder for us than it was them. I don't know if sin, if, if the enticement of sin has increased. But I do know the results are the same. If you're if you're going to continue to look inward and upward or inward and outward and not upward, you will continue to be deceived. And that day that you see the Lord and he says, "Depart from me," and you're just you're just you just knew the, the words, well done, is going to come out of his mouth. I don't even know what it's going to feel like. Hebrews is very clear that there is danger for those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And you and I, we live in a culture, and many of us have been grown, have grown up under in churches that have not wanted to warn you of that. That that in indirect ways want to make living as the world seem okay. But consider Jesus. Consider Jesus and know that whatever else is going on, it ain't worth it. Consider Jesus and know that he is worth selling everything to have. All of your, all of your good deeds, all the things that you have, all the things that you can offer to God in Christ, you know, are worthless. 
and any possession, any power, any uh, reputation is worthless. But being found in Christ is invaluable. It's eternal. And I just want you to understand, the world is going to just one bit at a time try to pull you away from it and pull you away from it. And your flesh is going to be like, I'll just take a little bit and a little bit. I think James has something to say about that. Let me just read this real quick. If I can find it. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you know what the next words are? Do not be deceived. You and I need to constantly take care that we, that we, brothers and sisters, are not found being deceived by sin and being led away to fall away from God. And so many people are going to fall away sitting in pews. And never know it. I'm challenging you today. And hopefully every day. That when you say. You are a Christian. That you mean your life is hidden in Christ. Every aspect. Every aspect of your life. How you are, who you are as a parent, a friend, a neighbor, a citizen, a co-worker. What you watch on TV, what you listen to on the radio. How much you eat. How you spend your money. Every aspect of our lives is bought by the blood of Christ. Consider Jesus Every aspect. And every aspect is His. Do not give it up to the world. Do not give the world your money. Do not give the world your time. Do not give the world your children. Do not give the world your lives. Consider Jesus. Because here's the last thing I want to say. Look at verse... We missed a lot here, but that's okay. Look at verse 1. Why consider Jesus? Because he's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Meaning, look at verse, look at chapter 12. I think this is saying the same thing, but different language. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. So let's... let's Go, flip back and forth and look at these real quick. I'm, I'm, I promise I'm finishing here. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1 says again, Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder or author, the perfecter or finisher of our faith. Meaning, You must, you must take care. You must hold fast. You must stand firm. You must believe. But consider Jesus because he is the author, the beginner, 
the apostle of your faith. It begins with him, and he is also the high priest, the perfecter, the finisher. It ends with him. And I don't mean, it's like, oh, we acknowledge that it began with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. I mean, you receive it in Christ and it holds firm in Christ. If you are to believe, if you are to stand firm, if you are to hold fast, it is because Christ is the finisher, the perfecter, the high priest. He is standing in on your behalf, keeping you, holding you, giving you faith. It is him. He is the apostle and the high priest, the author and the finisher, the founder and the protector or perfecter. It is him. And that's why he starts it. Consider Jesus. Because if you take your eyes off Christ, the world will suck you up. But the scary part is, you won't know it. Now, this chapter, and most of Hebrews, is very, very much talking to a crowd it's important that you each hear this, but it's talking to a crowd. Because guess what? If I can't see it, if it's so deceitful to me, how am I ever going to know? Uh, Luke, you're being pretty grumbly today. Um, so-and-so, I, I saw the way that you were yelling at your um, little ones at our function yesterday. That wasn't me, but... <laughs> no, it wasn't anybody. But hey, your parenting was not very Christ-like yesterday. Hey, take care, brothers, lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart among us. This is why we come. Because if not, if we are not growing together in fellowship and community, we will all be deceived. By our own sin. And yeah, we get some of that protection at home with our godly wives and our godly husbands. But it needs to be a community outside of the home, the fellowship of the body of Christ. That is a very, very big theme in this chapter. Us, we, our confidence, our hope. It's about us guarding one another. Anyway, I, I want to finish and just say... In order to make it to the end, you must never stop depending on Jesus. Those who are in Christ make it to the end. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Those who make it to Christ or make it in Christ to the end will depend on him. Guaranteed. Let's pray. Father, keep us. Preserve us. Keep our eyes on Christ. May you bring fruit from your word. Truth into our hearts and might we exalt you in worship each and every day it's in Christ's name we pray amen